Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. And surprise, because now this is like two videos in a row, right? That's right. That's so fun. Was that fun? Yeah. (laughs) Two location spots. We couldn't help it because when we knew we were going to be out here in northern Missouri and right near Adam on Diamond, we had to come to this place and um, put it on your bucket list if it's even possible. And don't worry, someday in the millennium, everyone is going to get a chance to come here if you can't in this lifetime, but I just hope for just a second, you can just get a sense of um, the spirit that is is here and the sacredness that is here in this place and the anticipation and excitement that is also here in this place as well. So um, only one of these sections kind of has to do with this area, but- Two, two Oh yeah, two, so that's fine. Stop complaining. Okay, <laughs> we're going to start in 115, which is where we were yesterday in that far west city spot where they're just, that was the headquarters and that's where all the saints were living. But also there were other little um, settlements that were set up around and Adam on Diamond is actually one of those and we'll talk about it in just a second. But one thing that is so significant that happens in section 115, eight years after the reestablishment of the church upon the earth, Um, is a revelation where the name of the church is given. Um, And in section 115, it is in verse um, 4, where he says, For thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, So that's pretty fun and significant that it happens there. And interesting to think, why eight years later? And why in this, um, why in, like out in this, way far out town like you get there and you're like that should be called way far west because it's just really out (laughs) and at the time of such intense persecution it's interesting to think why would this revelation come at a time like that Um, but obviously recently we have had um, a little bit more talk about that um, that particular revelation the revealed name of the church um, from president nelson Um, We've been thinking a lot about that talk. It was given in October of 2018. And how interesting it was um, when President Nelson went through and reminded us about using that name and how we would use that name. And then um, I wonder if you remember at the very end of that talk, there is a prophetic promise that is given to all of us as a church about using the correct name of the church. And we were thinking about that a lot as we were talking about this lesson. This is what President Nelson said. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise you that if we will do our best to restore the correct name of the Lord's church, and then that's all we have to do, just restore the correct name of his church. And this is what he promises back to us. He whose church this is, will pour down his power and blessing upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints, the likes of which we have never seen. We will have the knowledge and power of God to help us take the blessings of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and to prepare the world for the second coming. That's a pretty big promise. He's talking about blessings, the likes of which we have never seen. He's talking about 
the gospel going into every single nation. And he's talking about a preparation for the second coming that all has to do with how well we remember to use the correct name of the church. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I'm just thinking as you were talking, it's so funny that like when I heard that promise, I'm going to be honest, I was like, that seems like a really big blessing for like a really small deal. Like it's like, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Almost like, almost as like puzzling as the section coming in the middle of far west, you know? Yeah. And I'm just kind of making this connection right now and thinking about it because I think it's more than, oh, what do we rename our podcast? Because it used to be called Mormon Moments or... Um, how do we change the website or the email addresses or all the plaques mm -hmm. everywhere and the stationery? And there's been a lot of fuss about that and people in conversation just being like, you know, correcting themselves and, and saying like, oh, I saw this Mormon message. I mean, this Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints message, you know, and that's kind of been the talk for a while on that one. But I don't think he's so interested in making sure that the stationery is correct, but it seems to be a recentering of our focus and our faith on he whose church this is. It's it's a moving of our hearts back into alignment with, wait a second, put your eyes on him. Uh, set your sights on him. And here in this time of persecution, how powerful to remind them, when you refer to yourselves as who you are, make sure you refer to yourselves as his saints. And to put Latter-day Saints in yeah. there is a reminder of, and that means you're connected to previous generations of Jesus followers and disciples. And there's something really, really powerful about it. It's a heart issue. Well, and also that latter day throughout all of scripture, including the New Testament, they reference the latter day saints. And to think that that is us and that's who we are, that prophets have been talking about and for thousands about of years. And dreaming about and singing yeah. about and prophesying so about. awesome. Uh, there in that section 115, he kind of gives a commission to this church out in the middle of um, the persecuted wilderness, yeah. <laughs> you know, and look at some of the things. The verses are right there on your study guide sheet, but let's just look at this commission. Verse five, arise and shine forth and let your light be a standard to the nations. A standard isn't a measurement, but like a flag, a calling home, right? Um Verse six, he says to gather together upon the, the land of Zion, that idea of gathering and, and being in a place of strength. And you and, have a favorite spot in that. Well, and I love when he talks about that gathering, that it isn't just for fun. It isn't just for parties. It's not just for Sunday dinners. Although. You can do all those things and we love them. But I love that he says that it may be for a defense and for a refuge from the storm and from the wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. That's such an interesting phrase to be thinking about. And, and not if the storm comes, but when the storm comes. And that thought about without mixture, just that everybody is going to feel that when it, when it comes. And I love that he's saying, you, this is what you got to do. This is my church. This is my name. And then as he goes through and says, one of the things you need to be focused on right now is gathering as many people in as you can before that storm arrives in full force. Verse seven, become a holy people, consecrated. Verse eight, to build up for, for the sake of, of worship. Verse nine, we love this phrase mm -hmm. that he says, and let there be a beginning of this work. 
a preparatory work in verse 9. Just like the things that you'll do now are going to keep on uh, continuing through. And verse 10 is, is so neat. And also you can find this in verse 12, but he says, and labor diligently. This is like the call and the commission uh, to the church back then. And it's so interesting that if you read President Nelson's promise and invitation, that it's, it's yeah, it's the same. It's, it's, it's no different. And 12, he says, I want you to do this. He says, until it shall be finished. And it's neat to think about that line of um, when it will all be finished. And what does that actually look like when the work is done, right? We love that quote from Joseph Smith, right? Um, and when he says is the standard of truth until the great Jehovah shall say mm. it is finished or the work is done. And what's that look like? And it's just interesting that the section right after that kind of uh, talks about that or gives us at least a little snapshot yeah, it's, it's of like it. It's like just a hint of anticipation. It's <laughs> I turned this page small... instead of my scriptures hoping to find it in <laughs> Listen, here, but I got it, right it was here, here instead. Um, it's just a small section. It is one verse. It's so tiny. Um, 116, but it talks about this place where we are right now. And I'm just going to quickly read it to you. It says, Spring Hill is named by the Lord Adam on Diamond because, said he, it is the place where Adam shall come to visit his people or the Ancient of Days shall sit as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, you may have read that a hundred times and think to yourself, I have no idea what it's even talking about there. And it's helpful when you come here to this place to think about what happened earlier, what happened in this present dispensation, and then the prophecies of what will eventually happen here. It's all of those things together that I think make this such a sacred and, and holy place. You just feel it right when you walk on the grounds. And and you may have come here a number of times. You may have driven in, used the bathrooms, got back in your car, done the full circle and driven out of here. But I want to invite you, if you ever come back here again, park somewhere and just start walking along these gravel paths and um, under the shade of these trees and find somewhere to sit. And while you're sitting, those are the three things we want you to think about. What happened previously, what happened in our generation and the promise of what is about to come and if you if you don't know what happened don't worry we can't wait to tell you everything about it so let's just start before we jump into Daniel because we love that he mentions Daniel right there um, that's a description a prophecy of what will happen um, but let's talk about what did happen in the past now, when they moved to this place, they called it Spring Hill because of the spring, and there was a hill. Um, <laughs> but it was when Joseph arrived here that he said, wait, the Lord has a different name for this, and, and he makes a connection to Adam. Now, in a previous revelation in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 107 that we've already done a couple of weeks ago, um, you remember he said this. This is section 107, verse 53. And he said, three years previous to the death of Adam, he called Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalalil, <laughs> he's fun, Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah, who were all high priests with the residue of his posterity who were righteous into the valley of Adam on Diamond. And, and you just there, kind of want to go like this yeah. right now. Look at, look at that valley right there. Um, it's just so awesome to think that's where, um, where what is being described. Yeah. And it says, and there he bestowed upon them his last blessing. 
And verse 54, and the Lord appeared unto them in this place. And they rose up and they blessed Adam and they called him Michael the prince. And the Lord administered comfort unto him and said, I've set thee to be the head and a multitude of nations shall come after thee. And thou art a prince over them forever. And then it says that the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam and he predicted and saw from, from those days all the way to the end of his posterity until it was finished. And um, it's neat to think about Adam bringing all of his posterity together. And in, the, and his, in his role as, as both a, a dispensation head, but maybe more importantly as a, as a father, as a parent, um, that he brought his posterity into the presence of the Lord. Um, that was his, that was his aim. That was his mission. That was his like, his drive all along was to do that. And three years before he died, he did it. And it's neat to think about that happening in a, in a place um, like this, or maybe just maybe just right here in in this spot. So that happened obviously years and years and years and ago. years ago. And they knew that revelation. Didn't know anything about it. Didn't connect that revelation to this place until Joseph came here and got section 116. And he said, um, you call this Spring Hill, but I'm going to call this valley Adam on Diamond. And that's a hard um, phrase to translate. People have kind of wrestled with it. Lots of scholars. Our favorite one is when they call it the valley of God um, and or the valley of God where Adam dwelt. And it's so fun because in 117, which we'll, we'll go to in a minute, but it gives several definitions for that name again in verse 8 of 117. It says, Is there not room enough on the mountains of Adam on Diamond and on the plains of Olaha Shinaha or the land where Adam Or the land where Adam dwelt? And um, that Olaha Shinaha means the valley of the sun and the moon, which I just I love that thought too, that it's the valley of God. The valley where that amazing thing happened when Adam was able to bring his whole family into the presence of the Lord. And, and I just love that full circle thought of the valley of the sun and the moon. And you just see that full circle progression happening here because it began here um, and it's, it, the sun rose here and the sun will also set here at yeah. the very end, which is so neat. Yeah. And in Joseph's dispensation, they, um, they tried to settle here. They started to build up a couple of cabins. They thought this would be a great place. I mean, don't you? You look at it and you're like, that's where I want a house. They set up a, a center spot. Joseph actually dedicated, um, or it may have been Brigham Young, who was the voice for it, dedicated a spot for where a temple would be. And, and you can go to kind of all, all those places and they're just here and everything. But then they were driven out. And ever since then, this valley has uh, been pretty much empty until more recent years when you've got missionaries here who just are commissioned to beautify the land. And really that's kind of its past and present. Yeah, so there would have been a, a short period of time where there were 1,500 people living here. There was a tailor shop, a blacksmith shop, um, everybody building houses all through the woods here and the trees, there's just groves everywhere. Um, in fact, a little bit later, we're going to take you down to one of our favorite spots in Adam on Diamond. But you just think for six months, there was just this moment where they thought this would be a safe haven for them. And then they're going to leave from here and um, be on their way moving towards eventually Nauvoo. 
Um, and then let's talk about what's going to happen here eventually. So we are going to go to Daniel 7, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 9. I'm not going to read all of it to you. I'm just going to give you a few key words because it says, um, this is future looking. It says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. So the ancient of days would be um, Adam. Yeah. And he's going to come back and sit here again. And it tells us in Daniel that um, thousands and thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the judgment is set. And um, then what happens next is my favorite part. He says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So um, you have this vision of what's going to happen again is Adam's going to gather again. Um, and, and it's that thought. I love how you described and has prepared all his posterity to enter into the presence of the Lord because that is who we are. We are all his um, posterity. And even, and, and not just to enter into his presence, but verse 14 where he finally will give his saints their inheritance mm. to rule and reign together with him right that beginning moment of the millennium yeah. when it's like he will not only come to rule and reign but there will be kings and queens priests and priestesses prepared to rule and reign with him which is so awesome and then in verse 15 the most interesting thing happens daniel says i daniel was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me and he's going to talk about the part of the vision that was troubling which is these beasts who come and this exceedingly dreadful things that happen and the great things that are going to happen and it, it talks about um, in 21 that um, these beasts made war with the saints and prevailed against them and I um, also think it's so interesting in verse 25 when it says and they shall wear out the saints of the most high and um, and think to change what is ahead for them and I think we're the same sometimes. We start seeing all the pattern of what is ahead for us. We hear of all the calamities that will precede the second coming. We, we have lessons on the signs and the times of the second coming. And we feel that same troubling within our spirit. And the fact that there are so many prophecies that say it will wear out the saints. In fact, in Matthew, he tells us even the very elect could be deceived during this time. And, and we see it in the time of Joseph with the apostasy that was taking place in Kirtland, but we see it in our day as well. And one of the things that I love about coming to Adam on Diamond is a lot of times we spend time looking in the scriptures at those signs. And we talk about the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood. And we talk about the earthquakes and we talk about the wars and we talk about men's heart will fail them and the fear that will come on people. And um, those are all signs. But then we also have those moments when we walk into a place like Adam on Diamond and we feel the peace and the anticipation and the excitement of like what's ahead and the fact that Jesus Christ is really going to come back and move 
among his people and bring healing and deliverance and rescue and all of those things that that we're pleading for all of us are pleading for and i had an interesting experience last year i had the opportunity to come here and anytime i come here with people we talk about what what happened in the past and what happened in the present and what will happen in the future and then i always say to those people take an hour and go walk down a path somewhere and find a place to sit down and to do your own thinking there is something about this place that just invites the spirit if you feel the spirit of revelation moving so clearly through these pathways that are here and and as i was walking to find my rock that i was going to sit down on i was looking at this place now if you've never been here before i just want to describe it for you and hopefully you'll be able to see it in some of the pictures that we take here there are missionaries specifically assigned to Adam on Diamond. Their job is to take care of the grounds and they do such an amazing job. If there's any dead growth on the trees, they take it off. They keep the lawns manicured. They take the weeds out of everywhere. It is so beautiful when you come here and walk around. And in all the time that I've been here, um, I have not had a chance to see someone doing that work of just keeping this place as beautiful as it is. And I was thinking in my head, when do they, when do, they do it? it? Because it's always, I have never come here when this place is not in pristine condition. And as I was walking, the Spirit just whispered two words to my mind, constant readiness. And I thought about that. And I thought about what is going to happen here. And I thought about a group of missionaries whose job, their sole purpose is to make sure this place is ready for that moment that we long for, that we pray for, that, that day that we just all hope for. It's to make sure this place is in constant readiness for that moment. And then I heard the Spirit whisper two more words to me. Are you? And it made me think to myself, am I putting in that work um, so that I am in constant readiness for whenever that moment will be in our life? And I think this is a good reminder of just being ready every day, of going through the process that's talked about in 115, of letting him be the center of everything that we're doing so that we will be ready when that day comes. Another lesson that we really love so much from this valley is connected to what happened so long ago that um, because there is a connection to Adam and Joseph used to teach that when he would come here, remind them about that altar of sacrifice that he and Eve built together when they left the Garden of Eden. And, and you remember when they left and their question was, how do we get back in? And they were taught... Um, the law of sacrifice and they offered a sacrifice and it was many days that they offered it and and finally the angel came and he said why are you offering these sacrifices and he says i i don't know except the lord commanded it and then the angel teaches them the answer to his question how do we get back into eden and it's um, this sacrifice will be in similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten who is full of grace and truth and they will then, from Adam all the way up until Jesus Christ and until now, practice the law of sacrifice to remember his great sacrifice and to bind our hearts to him through that. 
And so we love thinking about that idea of sacrifice when, when you come to this place. And there is the section right after, section 117, um, that is to Newell K. Whitney and William Marks, two friends of Joseph Smith's, and it seems like they're just on his mind. Um, they've moved to Missouri, but Newell K. Whitney and William March are still back in Kirtland, even though everyone was, was supposed to leave. And he must have been wondering about his friends, and he receives this revelation to those two men um, where he just tells them, and, and, and it kind of seems based off of what the answer is here, that they were maybe tied to their store, which why wouldn't mm-hmm. you be after ma- building it up from scratch and seeing this business grow and, and everything and, and then being asked to leave it? for pennies to the dollar, right? Um, And the Lord in this revelation says to Newell K. Whitney, he says, um, let them awake and arise. I love that those same words from section 115, get a vision um, of of what we're doing, snap out of it, you know? Because the Lord says then in verse 14, um, I want you to repent of your covetous desires um, for what is property to me, right? When you compare your little store, and I know it's great and it's so pretty, and I love that second coat of paint you put on there, <laughs> but if you compare that to what I have in mind for you and my vision for you, what is property to me? He even says this in, in verse six, have I not the fowls of heaven and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the mountains? Have I not made all the earth? Do I not hold all the destinies of the armies of nations of, of the whole earth? He was like, I want you to get a vision of, my friend said to me one time, he was like, um, the trouble with coveting uh, is not wanting too much. It is wanting too little. Because the Lord's like, I have so much more for you. Why are you holding on to this, just this drop that he says? And I think you love that verse. The verse right after it, because I love that thought of exactly what you're talking about. That sometimes we get fixated on something and we think this is our best. Like this is my best. This is the best that is going to happen in this lifetime. And I love what the Lord reminds them right after that. He says to them, will I not make solitary places to bud and to blossom and to bring forth in abundance? Like what you have there, I did that. And do you not trust that you can start with nothing again, a solitary place? You can start with zero and I can make it to bud and to blossom. Like I can make something beautiful of anything. And, and then that's when he says on, um, in verse eight, is there not room enough in Adam on Diamond for everyone? And I'll tell you, you come here and look and there is so much room here. Like if you want a definition of an abundance of space or an abundance of anything, this is just whispers that hint of a fullness, of an abundance, of just this all that the Lord has to offer to us. Yeah, so that phrase at the end of eight after that is just mm-hmm. like, so please don't trade this for just the drop, you know, just that drop in the bucket. Come have overflowing. And verse 11, I love when he says to him, I want you to, um, I think it's verse 11. I just lost it. Where's the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to repent of your littleness of soul. And you remember back in the Book of Mormon year, um, Alma 32, that great section, uh, verse 28, where he talks about the chance to have your soul enlarged. And he's making that comparison again. Get rid of your littleness of soul and come and have an enlarged soul is is what he's saying Yeah, right there. And I love that thought 
um, the, that difference between the littleness of soul and enlarging your soul. And we want to end talking about a man who you just see, a man who had a large soul. He just did. But the other reason we love him and we're so happy to talk about him here is because of the lesson he teaches us about sacrifice. And this is a man whose name was Oliver Granger. We're going to see him mentioned in verse 12 of chapter of section 117. Um, Oliver Granger actually had the opportunity to see Moroni, um, who came and talked to him about the Book of Mormon and told him that it was a true record of great worth. Um, he lived in Kirtland in 1833. Then he was with everybody when they fled to Missouri in 1938. And when he got there, one month later, Joseph Smith asked him if he would go back to Kirtland, which I can't even imagine the thought of that, of um, just getting out of there, getting out of there with everyone and your safety and feeling good about what had happened in, in getting there. And then having Joseph Smith come back to you one month later and say, we need you to go back. Um, I need you to go back to Kirtland, to that place that you just fled from. Um, and that's what was going to happen there. And um, what he needed him to do was represent the first presidency in settling all of the church debts. That was going to be his job. And it's interesting because the Lord talks to him about this. He says in verse 12, again, I say unto you, um, Oliver Granger, behold, verily I say unto him that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation forever and ever. Um, and this is what he's going to do. Contend earnestly for the redemption of the first presidency of my church. And then this line, which is so interesting. And when he falls, he shall rise again for his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. And when you read that, you're like, what does that even mean? It's a lot of really pretty words put together. But like when you sit and think about it, you're like, what is he talking about there? And it's interesting when the Lord says when he falls, because Oliver is not going to have great success in that job, in that assignment. And the Lord knows he's not going to have success there. Yeah, he has no chance of having success, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, he just it's, he's being put in a situation where he's not going to have success. Um, and in fact, his sacrifice is going to be more important in that moment than the increase because he's not going to reap what he went there to reap. But what the Lord is looking for in that moment isn't the increase. It's the sacrifice. And how many times has that been true in our own lives? It's interesting because um, he moved there in 1938. To work on all of that and he worked or in 1838 all of a sudden he was, your grandpa. he was really old <laughs> he's gonna die there in 1841 at the age of 47 so he will spend the rest of his life on that assignment which a little bit breaks my heart because it's an, ex an assignment where he will think he felt that he won't do what he was sent there to do but it's so neat because one creditor there who the church owned debts to said his management of the unfinished business in redeeming their pledges and sustaining their integrity has um, given him my highest esteem and ever grateful recollection. So he left a great name for the church with that work that he was doing there. And it's interesting because even though there were few Latter-day Saints in the area at the time of his funeral that would have been there to go and just celebrate the life of this man who gave such a great sacrifice 
We're told his funeral was attended by a vast concourse of people from Kirtland and neighboring towns who he had left an impression on. And I just love when the Lord looks at that again. It's just like what we learned in 111, that it, the money was not as important to the Lord as the people. And the saints had left on not good terms. And I think it was Oliver's job to settle those terms. And he did his best job up until the day that he died. And I love the thought of that, of that just sacrifice in living up to what the Lord had asked him to do. Um, I had a more recent experience at Adam on Diamond, and maybe we can end um, with this. When I come here, I love to think to myself, what could I learn from this place? What is the lesson you want to teach me today? And that's the question I ask myself every time I come here is, what do you need me to know from this experience today? And um, as I was thinking on that day about that experience, I was thinking about this great valley and the people who will be here. And I just thought to myself, oh, I would love to be one of those people. I would love to be in attendance on that great day when the Ancient of Days comes and, um, and the Lord comes back again. And I thought to myself, what would you have to do? Like, what's the qualifier for that invitation? Um, what, what would you have to do to be able to come to that place? Would you need a certain calling or what would be required of you? We don't really know um, what that will look like, but oh, don't we all want to be here when that moment happens? And um, I, I kind of was thinking as I was um, just sitting there with the spirit of what, what would that look like? What, what kind of calling would I have to have or what job would I, I would have any job in the world and um, I thought in my head, make me the custodian. I'll just be the custodian of that day. And as soon as I thought it, I just felt the spirit come over me. And I thought to myself, am I going to be the custodian? Is that what I'm going to be? I, but I will do it if that's what I need to be. And the spirit whispered, look up the definition of custodian. And so I did. And it says this, a keeper a protector, and a steward. And I think to myself, circling all the way back to the reminder we've been given by President Nelson to remember whose church this is and to be a steward of that and a keeper of that, um, to be a protector of that great truth. And if that's all that is required for us to be ready in constant readiness, for that day, then my prayer for each of us is that we will become the very best custodians this church has ever seen. One of the things that President Packer said about Oliver Granger was it's not so much what he did, the job that he was given, or even the results of it, but who he was. And who he was came because of his sacrifice and the integrity of his heart, like the direction of his heart in doing what it was that he does and we're going to end this by letting by going down to a favorite spot a little pecan grove that is down there and letting jason sing to you and then the the full nashville tribute band let you enjoy this place um one of our favorite hymns come thou fount of every blessing that hymn is a prayer for that fount he himself the fount of every blessing to come into our lives and to come here 
uh, someday and, and to think of giving our heart over to him in, in any capacity, whether it's the custodian or anything else that he wants. It is, it's powerful to think that this place has a past and a present and a future that is dripping with Jesus. And that's true of anybody hearing this, that all of us have a past with him, a present with him, and a future with him that we can anticipate. And we'll hope that you can have some of those same quiet moments. Um, well, they won't be quiet because you'll be listening to the song, but at least contemplative moments about that as, as you hear this. Um, so enjoy, and we will see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.